Well, hello there, and welcome to the iFormerX podcast. This is Stuart Haynes, the host of the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care and community practice. If you're not already a member of iFormerX, please sign up. All you need to do is visit the iFormerX.org, our website, and click on the join or sign in link that's in the upper right of the navigation bar. Membership in iFormerX is free to all health professionals, and please encourage your trainees to join as well. In this episode, we're, we're going to talk about a, a problem that's commonly encountered in clinical practice, and that's statin-associated muscle symptoms, or affectionately known as SAMs. Many patients who take statin therapy complain of muscle aches and pains. In many cases, these symptoms are a nocebo effect, essentially the body's response to an expectation that has been created by negative messages from health professionals, social media, as well as family and friends. And these anticipatory effects can be mitigated by engaging in shared decision-making and by emphasizing the benefits of statin therapy relative to the potential harms. This should include reassuring patients that there are many ways to manage muscle symptoms should they occur. So communication is key to preventing SAMs. Nevertheless, despite employing strategies to mitigate the nocebo effect of statins, some patients will still develop muscle pain. And we'll talk about some of the ways that we can address SAMs. But over the past decade or so, there's been considerable interest in simple and inexpensive over-the-counter drugs that could be used to prevent and treat SAMs. And because vitamin D has an effect on muscle and bone health, some have recommended vitamin supplementation. But does it work? Well, that's the question that a recently published study in JAMA Cardiology attempted to answer. And joining me today for the podcast and to examine this study is Dr. Rick Hess from East Tennessee State University, Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. Rick is an ambulatory care pharmacy specialist, as well as a diabetes care and education specialist who practices at the Johnson City Internal Medicine Clinic at the State of Franklin Healthcare Associates, nestled in the beautiful hills of East Tennessee. And given the nature of his practice, Rick sees a lot of patients on statin therapy, some of whom develop Sam's. Well, Rick, it's great to have you on the iFormerX podcast today. Thank you, Stuart, for inviting me to be here. So, Rick, I, I know that Sam's is a fairly common problem with somewhere between 5 and 10% of patients complaining of muscle symptoms after they've started therapy. Uh, and what do we know about the etiology of Sam's? How do we sort out when a patient is experiencing a more serious adverse event like myositis, which is uncommon, but still? We need to be on the lookout. The etiology of SAMS still remains a mystery, so the exact cause is not known. There are some theories, though, and one leading theory is that statins can decrease the synthesis of ubiquinone, or what we sometimes commonly refer to as CoQ10 in the muscle cells. CoQ10 supplementation, however, though, Uh, is not recommended in the guidelines, and that is because the results from studies have been relatively inconclusive. 
So while we don't know the exact cause, we do know that pain is subjective and it can't be measured. Therefore, when you have a patient who is presenting with SAMs, the history is important. It's very important that we evaluate the timeline that the patient reports and look at the risk factors involved. Some of these risk factors are modifiable. When a patient initially will present with SAMs, one of the first things to think about is when did the symptoms begin? The onset of SAMs can vary. However, though most of the research that has been conducted will state that the symptoms typically appear within the first few weeks of a statin initiation or if there's been a dose increase. The other thing that's important to remember is other potential causes that are not directly related to the statin drug. For example, if a patient has just been told they have high cholesterol, one of the things that they may do is they may start exercising. And so it is the muscle aches that they're experiencing because of some kind of an exercise plan that they have just started or maybe have intensified. One of the things that we need to be paying attention to are risk factors for SAMs. So while we don't know the cause, we certainly know that there are risk factors that are associated with higher prevalence for SAMs. For example, advanced age, over 80 years of age, is associated with higher risk. Female sex, lower BMI or a frail body frame, comorbidities like chronic kidney disease or liver disease or uncontrolled or undertreated hypothyroidism and diabetes. Also, the level or intensity of regular physical activity, not just started physical activity, but but physical activity that the patient has already been engaged in. It's interesting that the more physically fit people are, there's a, there's a signal that they are less tolerant to statins. And then, of course, we have to look at the statin characteristics. For example, is this a moderate-intensity dose or a high-intensity dose? The high-intensity dosing is associated with higher risk for SAMs. So there appears to be a dose-dependent response. Also, is the drug a lipophilic drug or is it a hydrophilic drug? The theory is that lipophilic statins will penetrate into the muscle tissue more readily or easily than hydrophilic statins could. One of the important things to consider is are there any drug-drug interactions? All statins, with the exception of pravastatin, are metabolized to some degree by the cytochrome P450 isoenzymes. In particular, when we think about cytochrome P450, we think of cytochrome P3A4. Lovastatin, simvastatin, and atorvastatin are associated with more drug-drug interactions because they are predominantly metabolized by 3A4. When you think about a patient who is going to be taking a statin, this is typically a patient who's at high cardiovascular risk. 
And they may be taking other cardiovascular medications too that are 3A4 inhibitors. For example, amiodarone or the non-dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers. Renolazine is another one. And then there's other classic examples of drugs that inhibit 3A4, such as the azoantifungals and the macrolide antibiotics. The classic drug-drug interaction, though, that we think about with statins is the fibrates, drugs that are used to lower triglycerides. These are drugs that are often prescribed along with statins. And the classic example that we think about is gemfibrozil. Gemfibrozil, in combination with a statin, dramatically increases the risk for SAMs. It's been reported that gemfibrozil in combination with a statin increases the risk of rhabdomyolysis by 6 to 10 times. Gemfibrozil is also a drug transporter inhibitor. Specifically, it inhibits the OATP1B1 transporter. If a patient is presenting with with severe muscle pain or severe muscle weakness, perhaps they've even fallen, the clinician should be thinking maybe this could be something such as myositis or rhabdomyolysis. Even though these are far, far less common, this could happen, especially in the presence of drug-drug interactions. If a patient is presenting with the muscle pain, the weakness, could be swelling of injured muscles, and they're also reporting that their urine color has changed to a dark, almost a tea-like color, then that is when we need to suspect something more serious could be at play here. And this is when the clinician should check the creatinine kinase and the renal function. There's an app out there called Statin Intolerance App that is put out by the American College of Cardiology. And this app can guide clinicians through the process of troubleshooting and managing SAMs. So, Rick, there's a a lot of over-the-counter products, including some herbal products, that have been touted as potential ways to either prevent or treat SAMs. And it seems biologically plausible that vitamin D might have some effect But are there any data to support the notion that vitamin D can either prevent or treat SAMs? Well, there is an association with low vitamin D levels in patients who report experiencing SAMs. There was a systematic review and meta-analysis that was published that used observational studies, but they basically were analyzing the vitamin D levels in patients who were complaining of SAMs, and then also comparing it to patients who were not complaining of SAMs. What they found was, in looking at these two populations, the average vitamin D level in patients who were reporting SAMs was 28, while those who were not reporting SAMs had a vitamin D level average of 35 There's not a vitamin D level cutoff, but there appears to be the highest risk for SAMs when vitamin D levels are below 20. There is also an association with improved statin tolerance when rechallenged with a statin 
after correction of low vitamin D levels. Again, this is a correlation, which does not mean it's causal. And this was observed in small observational studies, typically conducted at a single center. Patients with low vitamin D levels were treated with high-dose supplementation of 50,000 or even up to 100,000 international units per week. And then they were rechallenged with a statin. And in these small observational studies, tolerance was significantly improved. There are currently no randomized, double-blinded, placebo-controlled trials to determine if correcting low vitamin D levels will reduce SAMs. And it's because of the absence of these studies that the guidelines are, are pretty quiet about the role of vitamin D. For example, the American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association guideline on the management of blood cholesterol is completely silent about the role of vitamin D. The American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists and American College of Endocrinology consensus statement on the management of dyslipidemia and prevention of cardiovascular disease mentions that low vitamin D may be a risk factor, but there is no recommendation for supplementation. Most recently, the National Lipid Association published a clinical perspective on the assessment and management of statin-associated muscle symptoms, or SAMs. And in that perspective, again, they state that there's no recommendation to use vitamin D supplementation because of the lack of randomized controlled trials. So I think that leads up very nicely, Rick, to my next question, which is, let's talk about the study that you reviewed in your iFormRex commentary. Now, this study which was published in JAMA Cardiology, is actually a, a sub-study of the much larger VITAL study. And the paper is entitled Statin-Associated Muscle Symptoms Among New Statin Users Randomly Assigned Vitamin D or Placebo. As always, we provide a link to the paper on our website, but I'm hoping you can give us a brief summary of the study, methods, and the results. First, I want to just briefly tell about the VITAL study. The VITAL study was large, randomized, placebo-controlled trial using a two-by-two factorial design to investigate whether vitamin D3, dosed at 2,000 international units daily, or omega-3 fatty acid supplementation would prevent cardiovascular disease or cancer in men who were over the age of 50 years or women over the age of 55 years. The key exclusion criteria in this large study, they could not have pre-existing cardiovascular disease. They could not have renal failure, severe liver disease, or be already consuming doses of vitamin D that are equal or greater to 800 international units a day. The vital study enrolled over 25,000 participants, and they were followed for an average of 4.8 years. As part of the vital study, all participants completed an annual questionnaire, and this questionnaire was designed to collect demographic and medical history information, part of which they were able to identify 
anyone who was not on a statin at the beginning of the study, but was prescribed one later on. And they identified these participants as, quote, presumed new statin users. These statin users received another brief survey regarding their statin use, muscle symptoms, and were also asked if the statin was discontinued. The primary endpoint was frequency of reported SAMs, and an important secondary endpoint was the frequency of statin discontinuation. 88% of the new statin users completed the survey. 2,083 patients were included in the analysis. For the primary outcome, SAMS was reported in 31% of those who were randomized to vitamin D3 and and also 31% of those who received placebo. For the secondary outcome, statins were discontinued in 13% of those assigned to vitamin D3 and also by 13% of those receiving placebo. One of the methods in the vital study was the collection of vitamin D levels at baseline. And vitamin D results were available in 67% of participants. Approximately a third of those had baseline vitamin D levels that were under 30. So the majority of participants in this study did not have low vitamin D levels at baseline. When results were stratified by baseline vitamin D levels, there was no significant difference in SAMs, including those whose baseline vitamin D level was less than 20. So VITAL is a randomized prospective clinical trial that enrolled thousands of patients, but it was not specifically designed to test whether vitamin D supplementation would prevent SAMs. Nonetheless, I think these data are more compelling than most of the previous studies that are available. What, in your opinion, Rick, are the strengths and weaknesses of this particular analysis? And are there any potential confounders that may have impacted the results? Yeah, there were several strengths to this study. One, of course, is that this is a randomized, double-blinded, placebo-controlled trial of over 2,000 participants. It's a much larger and diverse population compared to some of the early observational trials. In addition, the baseline characteristics were similar among groups, including some of those risk factors that are associated with SAMs, such as advanced age, female sex, and low BMI. And in addition, there were no significant differences in the statins that were reportedly prescribed and the amount of exercise that the participants were completing was similar between groups too. Thirdly, there was a high survey completion rate, 88%. And finally, the dose of vitamin D, which was 2,000 units used in the study, is a standard maintenance dose that is generally considered safe and very low risk of toxicities or adverse effects. There are several weaknesses, though, of this study. Only 66% of participants had vitamin D levels that were drawn at the beginning of the trial, and the majority of the participants did not have low vitamin D levels at baseline. 
there were no repeated vitamin D levels drawn. So it's unknown if any of the deficiencies were even corrected. The vitamin D dose that was used in the study of 2,000 international units daily is lower than the doses that were used in the earlier, smaller observational studies. There were no reported adherence measures to vitamin D. The statins that were prescribed were prescribed after the randomization of vitamin D or placebo by the participants' personal physicians, and the doses or the intensity of these statins are not known. There's no way to know whether or not the prescribers managed the participant-reported SAMs either or what method or procedure they followed. The survey was mailed after the completion of the vital study, and so the participants who completed these are subject to recall bias. And finally, the majority of the statins that were reportedly prescribed were lipophilic in nature and metabolized through cytochrome P3A4, which can lead to many drug-drug interactions. It is not known what other medications the participants may have been taking at the time that the statin was initiated. Well, Rick, I'm wondering if you believe vitamin D has a potential role in the prevention and treatment of SAMs. And and if your patient developed muscle symptoms while taking a statin, what is your general approach to managing that patient? I would say that vitamin D3 at 2,000 international units daily does not prevent SAMs, nor does it change statin discontinuation rates in people beginning a statin. I like to think of this in light of primary prevention for SAMs. It appears, based on the findings of this trial, that giving vitamin D to everyone who is starting a statin does not reduce SAMs. Well, the first thing I would do is express empathy, because it's important to acknowledge that the patient is experiencing something that's not desired and potentially is affecting their quality of life. So I believe that expressing empathy will naturally lead to a collaboration with the patient on trying another statin. So there's a few strategies that that I would suggest. Number one, I would explain to the patient the rationale for why a statin could be helpful to them. Then I would review strategies that have worked with others, such as lowering the dose of the statin maybe cutting the dose in half, trying a different statin. If they're taking one that's a lipophilic statin, switching to a hydrophilic statin. If they're taking one that's metabolized through cytochrome P3A4, trying a different statin that doesn't go through that pathway. Or even trying alternate daily dosing. I would also explain that other factors may be involved here, such as low vitamin D. And if it's low, It can be treated. The general approach would be 50,000 units weekly for 8 to 12 weeks, retest their vitamin D levels, and then rechallenge when their vitamin D levels are normal. If they're intolerant, even though perhaps you've tried maybe three rechallenge attempts, then I would focus on maximizing cardiovascular risk reduction with non statin therapies or 
focus on controlling other cardiovascular risk factors. Well, Rick, I want to thank you for being on the iFormerX podcast today and, and bringing this research paper to my attention. Well, tell us what you do in your practice when someone develops SAMs. Do you use vitamin D supplementation or perhaps coenzyme Q, or do you favor some other approach? You can leave a comment by visiting and logging into our website at iformerx.org. And for those of you who are board-certified ambulatory care pharmacists, you can earn board recertification and continuing education credit by listening to this podcast and reading the written commentary posted on our website. We've partnered with the American Pharmacists Association to create the Literature Evaluation and Evidence-Based Practice Series, which is available online, on demand, anytime, anywhere. Want to learn more about the APHA prep and recertification program? Just click on the link posted below the written commentary on our website. And lastly, I'm really glad that we have Rick here today with us because I want to congratulate East Tennessee State University Bill Gatton School of Pharmacy for being awarded the 2022 Lawrence C. Weaver Transformative Community Service Award by the American Association of Colleges of Pharmacy. This award recognizes a school or a college of pharmacy that demonstrates a major institutional commitment to addressing unmet needs through education, research, and service. The administration, the faculty, staff, and students of ETSU Bill Gatton have gone above and beyond by engaging in a wide range of activities intended to address the opioid epidemic, to ensure the delivery of clinical services through community pharmacies, and for planning and executing dozens of patient screening and education events in rural Appalachia. So kudos to all of you and for the important work that you do to make the lives of people living in underserved areas better. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Mm-hmm.